Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your host, Brian. Brian. Oh, I could say my name. Brian. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> already starting off great, you guys. Already starting off fantastic. And uh, doing it live. Yeah, F it. We'll do it live. Uh, all, <laughs> joining us, as always, thankfully, back from the hell that's been 2021 for him is your co-host, Jim. Kidney stones. Not oh. recommended. Oh, God. I've heard nothing good. I've oh, never, there is nothing good. I've, you want to try talk about climb the walls for oh, seven days waiting. Oh, God. Yes, like oh. all the all the oxycodone in the world can't make it quit hurting. Oh God, mm. I, I. But I'm good now. Thankfully, yeah. And you're you were having internet troubles for a while, which is why we lost. Oh you yeah, for a while. It, internet's finally straightened out. They actually managed to chase that down to a particular house in the neighborhood. What? I don't know what was happening in that house. It was probably some kind of OnlyFans <laughs> interference. But oh, it was like certain certain times of the day there was like RF signal coming out what? of here, so i don't know is maybe that's where are doc they, brown are, are, or something are they making a faraday cage or something what are they doing over there <laughs> jeez uh also joining us is your co-host spaz hello you may recall hunter is out for a while uh he's still in the midst of a move he's uh moved to ohio and still not settled into his new place yet so hopefully we'll get him back soon um Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully pretty quick. I I talked to him the other day, and oh. it's the he's he's finally settled into the apartment where they were at. So now it's time to move to the house. So oh, good, you know, yeah. So it, it's it's like well, as soon as, as soon as you get comfortable, time to pack again. Oh, Jim, uh, random question. Dapper Dent asks how the how the how it feels once the kidney stone is out. Like, um, it just feels like nothing, which is beautiful which is what you want yeah that's is what yeah. you want yeah <laughs> it, it it took like four days afterwards for everything to finally like settle back down oh my gosh you know like a lot of swelling and yeah it's not cool so i still have to go to the doctor on the fifth and they're gonna inject dye in me and like cat scan and watch my kidney do its thing to make sure Yay. it didn't get jacked up so oh, yeah oh, i'm man. looking forward to that oh getting older it's great y'all. well they they so say great. that the only thing that compares to like kidney stone pain and I, and I'll say gallstone pain too, cause I did one of those and it feels identical. The problem with gallstone pain and they say that it's a lot like child labor. Right. Um, and all I'm going to say about that is chicks get it lucky because that only lasts a day, not seven. So don't at me ladies. I don't know. Is there, I don't know if there's ever been you're a playing with fire there. Yeah, yeah, you really are. Yeah, uh, send send your uh, complaints to Jim at no. Uh, <laughs> sorry, um, folks. We have a guest this week, Chris. Where are you calling from? I don't remember. I should have asked before. Uh, Durham, North Carolina. Oh wow! So you're not Jim. How far is that from you? Uh, I don't know. It's slightly to the west. I could probably hit a rock or throw a rock and hit him. Yeah. Where are you at? I'm in Youngsville. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. So uh, I should be to the a little, east of little here, bit. actually. Yeah, just straight down 56. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. probably under an hour. And the only reason of that is because of the small roads. Yeah, 20, 25 minutes tops probably. But anyway, so what are you doing in Durham? <laughs> Making games, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I moved up here from Cary, and I'm definitely enjoying that. So I'm, I'm native to the area. So oh yeah. 
Hey, the guy that makes AI War lives over there. I don't know if you <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good seg. Good seg. Uh, that's what we're here to talk about, friends. Uh, specifically, AI War 2, because this game, I tried to count how many updates you've put into this thing since you were last on about a year. <laughs> two years? I lost count. Two I years count. ago. About two years ago. I couldn't count. I couldn't. I didn't have time to count that high. Because you have just been slaying it with the updates to this thing. Folks, if you're unaware, this game has gotten dozens of updates. It's uh, it's changed a lot. Uh, multiplayer is in beta right now. And uh, you're about to release a new one of potentially two new DLCs this year. Yeah, um, it's been uh, it's been a lot of uh, work, kind of prepping the ground for multiplayer and for uh, a lot of what we wanted to put into the future DLC. And so, um, a lot of it's been laying groundwork for mod support and so forth too. So, uh, it's been a lot of technical work and balance work, and just kind of you know you want to make your foundation as strong and tidy as possible before you jump into kind of the extended content. It's, it's kind of like it t- it's turning into Stellaris minus the community <laughs> anger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have man. a lot of crossover in uh, people who uh, do both. So, yeah, so, some of our modders do both. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Your, your what kind is, of mods? Oh, good. Sorry. Well, what kind of mods are you getting? Like, I, I haven't looked through the workshop lately. So what, what, what um, are people ours- making for you? Actually, we're not using Steam Workshop um, because uh, the that's a real pain, honestly, um, and it doesn't work with GOG. And so, um, the approach that I've been taking is with any mod that's of significant enough, you know, size and uh, maintenance quality, whatever you want to call it. Um, it uh, we're just like, you know what? Uh, we'll just package it with the game because they're small. And then they're uninstalled by default. I mean, they're they're uh, not active by default, but um, you can just go into the menu and just turn them on, and you don't have to download anything. And uh, um, that's worked out uh, really well because it makes it so much easier than having to like load from a server and find all these sort of things. And so most of them have been um, content type things, like uh, different factions. Uh, some of them have greatly expanded a couple of factions. There's a Kaiser's Marauders uh, mod that uh, the Marauders were one of the earlier factions in the base game. And uh, it's kind of patterned after a faction of the same name in the first AI war. And you know how it is when you're developing new stuff, um, you know, uh, Badger um, is the, you know, developer on our team who made those and, he just got better and better at making factions over time. And so his earliest ones are both his least interesting ones and the ones he's least interested in. But some of the other modders were like, well, we'll adopt it for you, you know? And um, in some cases they've made uh, some changes that just get rolled back into that game proper, um, which I was really surprised when I was, uh, I've gotten into Factorio uh, lately and then I was, like, oh, another developer that does that. That's amazing. I had no idea. There's got to be more than just the two of us, too. But um, <laughs> they were like, thanks to all our source code people who have contributed code back. And I'm like, that's why you have so much quality of life right in the game. That's 
That's what it is. I mean, that's, aside from selling like hotcakes with that game, but, that's amazing uh, though. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You, you might want to talk to him about how he pulled off multiplayer because I saw a game that had like two hundred players in it, and I was like, "Wait, Holy what? Crap, what? Yeah, it's it's been um, it's been an adventure with the multiplayer. I will say uh, for AI War Two, and uh, some of that has been because uh, I needed to have it. Like normally, uh, RTS games are deterministic, so everything happens the same on everybody's machine, and so that's been mostly the standard since the late '90s. And we've done that with most of our titles that were multiplayer, except for like Valor That Win. Those are more like uh, those two games are more kind of like an action game where you're in partial sync and things are being correct. Then there's, you know, fewer actors moving around, but when you've got a strategy game, number of actors, um, usually the conventional wisdom is you must, um, use deterministic simulations, but, uh, we made it massively multi-threaded and, um, for a while that was seeming to work in a deterministic fashion, but then it just kept breaking and then it was like, oh, you know, the other thing that's required for deterministic simulation is massive code discipline. And that is not, that does not equal mods. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, at a, at a large um, company that's making a multiplayer game, usually there's like one or two network programmers who like wander through everybody else's code and then come by their cubicle and wrap them around the ears and tell them, okay, here's how you broke it again, you know? And <laughs> it's like, you know, you called this random number generator for making the birds chirp. And that is now breaking multiplayer. Cause you should have been using this other random number generator. Stupid. You know, that's a real <laughs> example from age of empires one. They used what? it in their article explaining their stuff where um, it was seriously like if birds chirped on one, of the machines, but not the other, then it caused cascade of events that would cause a desync and the game to break. And oh my you know, God. yeah, seriously. It's I mean, gnarly. that's, that's how, that's how, uh, that's how, um, sensitive it is. And so I was like, well, I can't really do that. Um, I, I can't expect that level of determinism, uh, that level of code, uh, discipline from modders. So I came up with this, uh, kind of, I kind of describe it as, what was it, X3 was the last stand movie where Wolverine, uh, it's a terrible movie, terrible, terrible Awful. movie. Awful. Yeah. yeah. There's a kind of cool scene with Wolverine there at the end, though, and he's, uh, you know, the rapid healing, right, for anybody who doesn't know Wolverine. I don't know why you're on a, well, okay, he's not in space, fair enough, it's still geek culture. So Wolverine's like walking up to the whatever Dark Phoenix, who's like disintegrating him at the same time, and so basically it's like this kind of battle between his regeneration and entropy. So that's what I did with the multiplayer. <laughs> Is I basically uh, said we're going to try and have it be deterministic. It's going to break constantly. Entropy. Don't even care. We're going to have a self repair process that runs. And it's just going to be Wolverine running through the meat grinder, and it works really, really well. <laughs> oh my god! Um, wow! But and you don't you don't see that, um, but it's a really unique way of uh, running the multiplayer, and you can make egregious code errors, especially in mod area type uh, uh, code, and it'll recover from it within you know a second or two. 
And so, you know, the worst thing you're going to do is like up the bandwidth very slightly or something. But um, so I, I have a question about yeah. how you how you structure this whole thing in memory, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, you you have ships that are that are individual fleets, right? And and it's like they're all attached to like the the clump that is that fleet. So do you iterate around each ship? It, it, you know, like every frame you, you touch each ship and say, who are you shooting at? How many hit points do you have left? You know, what what's going on? And then you go to the next ship. So if I've got like a hajillion ships on the screen, it doesn't seem to bring the frame rate down. So it, it's, it, I, I'm not sure what it is that, that you're doing there. Um, it's, God forbid, like if, if you were doing actual projectile resolution, m- multiplayer would be a super zoo. But you know, thank God for hit scan, right? Um, but this but is how- uh, this is not hit scan, actually. Is it not? Wow. Okay. It's uh, it's actually it's not uh, the the particles are homing, the projectiles are homing, but there are uh, it is doing uh, projectiles, and then once the projectiles reach their destination, which is usually pretty fast, then uh, if they have an AOE, uh, at, um thing then that essentially does an area of effect uh hit scan at that point but um aside from aoe things like the beam weapons those are also hit scan because it's just like an immediate zap in a line so is it it a thing where the fleet knows how many members it has and what their health is so it can just check in as a as a fleet like array or no no. (laughs) uh it is it is uh, subset by planet mainly. Um, so that's the really big denomination that makes it so that uh, battles are able to happen. So if you were to have, um, so there's a multiplicative uh, um, increase in computing power required uh, for each you know number of ships. So if you've got a uh, hundred ships versus a hundred ships, you know, that is, um, what is that? Uh, 10,000 checks in theory, you need to do probably more than that, really. But if you've got a thousand ships times a thousand ships, then that's um, let's see, add it through. That's a million. So you go from two thousand to a million. So you go up by adding like uh, 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 you shift orders of magnitude very quickly. And so uh, the quickest way to keep that from spiraling upwards is to have uh, spatial subsetting. And so for a, a traditional game not set in space. Um, they have to kind of make those buckets up all the time. And uh, uh, it's called like quad trees or oct trees. And uh, here we don't really do that because it's all in space. And the thing that really breaks our ability to use traditional optimization of uh, uh, like quad trees is the fact that um, normally in a terrestrial game, like you know that dudes can't shoot past a hill or a house or whatever. And also most, I mean, there's snipers that can shoot really, really far, but most people, you know, an AK 47 or whatever, can only shoot, but so far in the uh, space games, um, stuff just goes, you know? So you have a lot of things with a lot of long range and obviously we simulate ship ranges. So, uh, but there's ranges at every gradation. And so it, uh, we actually tried quad trees at one point in the first game and it had no performance benefit for us because uh, there's so many different variances of, Oh, this guy can shoot kind of far, but not that far. That guy can shoot mid, you know, farther than that. This one can shoot anywhere. 
so it all comes down to um, just uh, moving a lot of stuff onto background threads. And uh, we process, we're processing the movement of ships simultaneously to processing the movement of shots, simultaneously to processing shots hitting things, simultaneously targeting is happening on another thread, and so on and so forth. And so uh, one of the most intense things is good target selection in this game. And uh, instead of actually, we actually take that out of the simulation, because normally that would be like part of the AI of like, so who do I shoot at the moment, you know? And that's not something that we can guarantee we can do in a timely fashion. And by a timely fashion, I mean, in the next hundred milliseconds, that's, you know, we can probably get it done in the next half second, but that's too slow. And so um, what we do is uh, run that on a secondary thread and then uh, calculate that data and then just um, shuffle it over into the main simulation in batches. And uh, that way um, you might be a half a second stale on your targeting data but unless you're running at like a really just hyper fast simulation speed or something, it's really not a really not an issue. So it's gone ridiculously like uh, ridiculously ridiculously parallel. Um, we have the first game had a main simulation thread and had a background AI thread. This game has in background AI threads, and I say in because it depends on how many different factions you have. So if you've got, if you've added in like 10 different mod factions, those each have their own background thread. And then there's the background threads for whatever factions you enabled from the main game. So you could have 30 background threads for factions. And then you've got uh, for the simulation itself, instead of being just one background or foreground thread, it's like one main background thread to rule them all and then (laughs) kind of bind them. And then... um, there's like 16 sub threads and then a bunch of those have further sub threads if they need to. So if you had a 26 core, you know, one of those really ridiculous, uh, um, processors that, um, AMD makes that are just like obscene number of cores, use them. <laughs> wow. See what, oh, it, where I'm at is kind of like, if I was making a space invaders clone, how would I handle hit detection on <laughs> so we're we're in a different level right <laughs> so you know it's like I, I had a kid ask the other day he's like uh so i want to learn how to program you know what, what do you suggest and it's like well probably unity because it's c sharp sure um, but you know because high level language you don't want to really just dive right into c plus plus and, and then he's like so is math really important oh my yeah and and i was kind of like well yeah you should probably talk to chris park <laughs> Just trig and matrix math and so on. I mean, you know, (laughs) we, we run the, um, this game has six distinct coordinate systems to it. I mean, there's actually more than that because, but it, you know, uh, but I mean, we run the simulation in one set of coordinate systems using one style of math. And then we translate that uh, into, and, and so the simulation actually runs at, 10 frames per second, which sounds really, really slow. But before anybody jumps on me about that, um, I got the idea from how physics simulations run. So if you think about physics or similar, um, those also run at 10, maybe 20 frames a second. But then uh, 
they get integrated into the main game simulation when you're breaking boxes or throwing them around or doing whatever it is you're doing, bumping into a door. They get uh, integrated into the main game uh, simulation, which is running at some other framework. And for us, we don't actually have a main game simulation. We don't have a physics simulation either, really. Um, we have our background physics simulation that is simulating all the stuff that runs at 10 frames a second. And then <laughs> what you actually see is a bit of an illusion where it interpolates between um, something from uh, 100 milliseconds ago and what it just got told. And so it's constantly showing you things on a 100 millisecond lag. Um, and that's actually very similar to how physics engines typically work in pretty much any game. And it's pretty similar to how MMOs work sort of a little bit. And it's similar kind of to how uh, prediction and reconciliation works in um, first-person shooter games as well. But it kind of takes a little bit from all of those disciplines and kind of chews them up and blends them together. But um, it turned out that actually worked out really, really well for the kind of crazy multiplayer uh, Wolverine Shredder that I have. Because uh, when we um, throw in weird data that has to be reconciled, it just does it. Because it already knows, it's like, all right, you moved yourself over 20 pixels. It's fine. I was in the middle of interpolating already. No need to be in a, you know, no, no problem, man. So it's just kind of funny because normally we would have to do some sort of smoothing or something like that uh, for network purposes. That's a big part of most first-person shooter games. And uh, because we were already doing that, which is kind of an insane thing to be doing to begin with, but uh, we had to do it for performance reasons because... You know, we do use Unity, but um, uh, we use a really specific subset of it because um, even with their newer ECS um, uh, system that they have got, uh, it's something they're rolling out that not a whole lot of games use yet. They've been working on it the last couple of years. For one, they started doing it after AI War 2 was already well into development. And for two, uh, it's not as high performant as what I'm able to do uh, just with crazy amounts of threading and uh draw mesh instanced <laughs> wow yeah I, I feel like i would have cheated right and and just made it deterministic and then magnetize the stuff on the screen to what the determinism was you know it's like oh this guy got hit so now i have to make sure that thing actually hits him but you know it's, it's like it's kind of tricky shot, i knew i was going to hit him Oh, yeah. I mean, the original AI war worked like that for a while. Um, we actually did that, and people noticed, uh, believe it or not. And so by the time we hit AI war 1, 3.0, I, I want to say, um, we had shifted it to make it uh, so that it didn't actually register as a hit until the shot got there. The reason people noticed was because uh, they would have a ship that was on a planet and then like some big fireball thing was coming at them and they go, ah, and run through a wormhole and they would hit them anyway. Yeah. And they're like, what, what the heck? You know? <laughs> yeah. See what, what I'd have done would have kind of looked like shit by comparison, because it's like the center of the fleet is the fleet. And then everything hanging off of it is just like a particle or something. You know, that, I was that way. I just yeah. determine fleet center versus fleet center and how many ships are left in you and then render them out there. Sure. I mean, and I, I did something similar with what we call squads for a while in early AI War 2. 
Um, cause I wanted to have like, Oh, okay. This, I, I was kind of thinking of, uh, was it rise of nations where they've got like, Oh, here's your gunners. And there's like three little guys that run around. They're all one unit, but you know, as they get shot, like one of the guys falls over and dies and then the other one does. And then finally the last one does, you know, and I was like, Oh, it'd be nice to do something like that. And yeah. Um, I built that framework out and it, it worked okay, but honestly, uh, it was visually confusing and it just kind of looked visually awkward. Um, and yeah. so, um, and it, and it did hurt performance a little bit cause we're drawing, you know, five times as many ships for no real reason if you've got a squad of five. And so I wound up kind of backing that off, but actually there's still a distinction for ship and squad in our code because of that. And uh, they, they're a one-to-one thing, but each squad has one ship in it. Um, yeah, but, see, my, yeah. my background comes from, like, uh, as a teenager, which was very long ago. Um, but a lot of, like, tabletop war games, like sure. Warhammer and Napoleonic's miniatures stuff, right? Where you have, you have a stack of dudes, and if you take five guys, you just take five guys out of the stack and consolidate it again. And, right, you know, but that doesn't look so great in real time on the screen. You know, it makes sense on a table, right? And but we it, did. Just we did run my head around how would I do this in code and not make it look like ass? And right. I haven't arrived at that, which is why you're making the game, not me. <laughs> well, we did wind up uh, implementing some stacking uh, proactively because I mentioned the kind of multiplicative uh, exponential costs that you wind up getting with the numbers of units, and so we do have a thing that will put units into stacks when there's huge, huge numbers of them, but it's usually the smaller units. And then we have code that's like dealing with the stack of units versus individually. And then if there's less going on, they split themselves back out. That keeps mm-hmm. the frame rates up during the really, really crazy or not frame rates. Cause actually the frame rate and the simulation speed are totally decoupled in our thing. So typically you could have a frame rate of 120 and you could have a sim speed of 50% and it's, you know, and that's a problem. Uh, there actually is a, because of the way that we do handle time in the simulation, you can actually just hit the plus key on your keyboard if you're running 50% sim speed and have a perfect frame rate. And it will double your simulation speed uh, and you're back at 100% and your frame rate's still fine. And it's like, wait, what? How'd that go? And the reason is because we're doing uh, time steps that are twice as large then and it's still running at 50% quote unquote speed. But um, it's uh, doing 200 milliseconds worth of work every 100 milliseconds. And since it's taking 200 milliseconds to do that, you know, it works out the same. And so it's kind of funny. Uh, it makes it really robust to slowdowns, whereas like the first game, uh, when the simulation got slow, you were kind of hosed. I mean, that, that was one real thing behind completely re-architecting the sequel was how do we make this truly massive and how do we make it like, okay, there are going to be edge cases, period, end of story. What do you do when it gets stressed? Not if, but when, like somebody's going to have the weirdest situation possible, or they're going to have a mod that lets them have 10 million things. And we have, you know, you can turn the stacking off if you don't want to have that, or, you know, you can choose not to up the simulation speed, all the different things. But um, um, we have it uh, through our kind of lengthy early access period and um, alpha period before that even. Um, 
we hit as many edge cases as we could and made it kind of react to those in different ways to keep the speed up. And uh, um, nowadays, you know, if you run into like a really late game situation where it's tanking your uh, simulation speed, well, just hit the plus key a couple of times and you're back up to what it feels like it should be. That's cool. So when did this DLC come out? Because I noticed so, you, you got one that's out, one that's coming real soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first one came out last February, so um, right before COVID. Um, <laughs> and uh, then this one is coming out. The next second one's coming out May eighteenth. And okay, and, and then you, I see a third one in the pipe too. Yeah, yeah. This uh, second one was originally slated to come out last May. <laughs> And then I was running very, very behind with multiplayer because uh, multiplayer turned out to be this like mind bending sort of a problem. And actually had to kind of invent this new bit encoding. Like normally it's byte encoding. That's not precise. And that's that's too, uh, you know, bytes are four bits, right? And so actually had to drop it to a bit compression that is actually more compressed than gzip which is kind of cool without actually compressing anything it's this kind of crazy format that we use and um originally uh keith lamont had uh come up with it and then i refined it a bunch and i was like wow i've never heard of anything like this before and then i was talking to some other developer from another really large company and i don't remember which company it was it might have been epic and uh they were like oh yeah one of those and i forget the term they had for it uh yeah we do one of those and i was like oh huh there's nothing in like public literature that I've ever seen about this. Uh, but apparently some of the other, like some, some of the other, but some of the AAA companies are doing that sort of thing. I was just like, Oh, okay, cool. We call it buzzsaw binary, but whatever. Um, and so there was a lot of stuff that had to kind of be uh, invented uh, in order to make this work and work with mods really, really well and all that sort of thing. And, uh, that wound up taking a long time. And, you know, my kids were home uh, for the you know first months of COVID and so forth. And uh, um, I got remarried right at the start of COVID as well. And my wife is a doctor. So, you know, of course, that put me on uh, kid duty versus her. And um, so because um, I was the one with the flexible schedule, at least. And uh, so... Um, that put me behind by about a year, but Badger, who I was working on the um, DLC with, he just kept trucking away, and um, he just kept adding features. And uh, we passed a point where it was like, okay, this is like the DLC, the end all DLC. Like this needs to cost like more than the base game if we do it like this, or like every other DLC we could possibly ever do is going to seem like ridiculously tiny um because this is has a year's worth of stuff in there so we're like i guess we're just going to split this in half and then it's still like each one is respectively our largest dlc already like it it, it was just like absurdly too large um so Mm -hmm. breaking it out this way it's able to be something where you can kind of pick and choose what you actually want if you're a customer uh who's you know not sure you want all that or uh or if you want all of it, hopefully, uh, then it's you know still a really good value for money without going like, let's 
fork over a game's worth of money for it. So what I'm curious about is all these updates you've put out. I mean, multiplayer is a big deal, but what, I mean, what would you say are the other main thrusts of all these updates you've put out over the last year? Because I, I played it when it came out and your game makes me feel stupid. I'm sorry. You have a great game. (laughs) I love your game. Don't get me wrong. It makes me feel like a baby man. And so I returned to it after not playing it for a while because it makes me feel stupid. And I had to say, I had an easier time clicking with it this this time around. So I'm just wondering what you've changed and added since it came out that has made it a little more approachable for a moron like me. Oh, it's been uh, it's been a lot. Um, we had two major um, release uh numbers uh since 1.0 that that stand out there was the 1.3 version and that was really more on the ai side there were some things that badger had come up with uh called fire teams which like majorly improved like the coordination of the ai and its ability to just murder you basically um and so that was mostly built around all the various factions becoming way 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 smarter and, uh, you know, it, it was a humongous uh, revamp of how that side of the, your, the enemy side and or allies, um, but NPC side, let's put it that way, functions. And uh, it was just a kind of quantum leap forward with them. And so we referred to that as being almost like a sequel. And then the 2.0 was when the first expansion came out. And that had a lot of, you know, updates to it as well. We had a complete... Um, I redid the shaders and um, lighting and visuals for literally every ship and structure in the game during that. Um, And then uh, I think we had a version 2.4 or something like that, that uh, we redid the entire, we redid the visual feel of the entire UI. It started feeling way more, uh, um, way more thematic and uh, easier to read. Just, just, it was a huge, just bit, bit mostly facelift sort of thing, but uh, in some cases also helping with usability and cutting down on text in certain places and uh, making it so that you could get contextual text in other places. Um, and then the most recent thing has been our version 2.8, which just came out uh, two weeks ago, I think. We call that one the paradigm shift. And that one... That one is the one that's really focused around uh, making it approachable. And um, I'll say, honestly, what I was, I, so it was over Christmas holiday break, uh, getting on towards New Year's. And I was thinking about, you know, coming back and the work I was going to be doing. And uh, I realized something, which was, I don't like playing in the middle of the game. It's not fun. I'm not, I personally am not having any fun with the middle game. I love the beginning of the game and I like taking somebody else's save and seeing what happens when I do the end part. But there is a point at which Chris McElligot Park would hit, uh, you know, 20, 30 minutes in and go, I don't know what to do next. I'm the lead developer uh, and I'm feeling this way because I've got, too many options are the wrong kind of options. And I'm just like, I don't know. This feels like a really hard math problem. I'm tired from working on coding this thing all day. I don't want to do this right now. I just play the end of somebody else's game. That's fun. 
Um, you know, and I was like, okay, that's a problem. That's a real problem. If I'm hitting this point, um, other people are too. And so, um, I thought about, you know, what was it that was, uh, you know, causing me to feel this way and, you know, where am I, what are, where, where are the things that are making me uh, feel overwhelmed? And a lot of it was like, oh, you need to make these choices, uh, in advance of information or there's too many choices or, you know, there's not a, um, just a lot of kind of meta level stuff, you know, the games flow like, you know, Oh, uh, like mechanically, everything was fine. There were no no, like mechanical problems that were making it not fun. It was a decision-making point of, and it wasn't a matter of like what information was being presented. That also was fine. You had the information you needed sort of, but there were certain things that you couldn't scout and um, you might essentially, the problem was, you might find out later on in the game that uh, you had made some choices in what technologies you chose early in the game. You're basically boned later in the game because of that. And so what most people would do is they would float some science and say, I'll just not spend this for a while. Let's see how long I can not spend this before I choose the optimal whatever. And so, um, that was the number one problem. And there were a bunch of other things that kind of stemmed from that. There need to be long-term consequences for things, for sure. Like certain things that you just don't come back from. But uh, there's overall two different driving uh, forces in a game like this. There's one, there's kind of the sandboxy, roguelike whatever you want to call it, aspect of, ooh, let's see what I find. And I'm going to make what I can with what I find. Um, and then there's the other side that's the, I have an idea in my head, I am empire building, and I want to do what I want to do. And those two things have to kind of meet in the middle somewhere. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And what can I build out of that sort of aspect? Um, because it keeps away the repetitiveness. Um, and gives that sense of exploration too. I mean, that's what is a space game without a sense of exploration, right? That's mm-hmm. so. Um, for me, uh, I was like, okay, science—that is empire building. I decide what I want to invest in, and I want to be able to uninvest some of my science and reinvest it. Um, and then we have this other—we'll uh, go ahead and call it a currency for purposes of our, uh, but a resource um, for purposes of our discussion here, and that's hacking points. Um, and before the 2.8 version, um, you really had a lot of them because there wasn't—it was one of those things where it was just kind of a feature that was added in the first game, kind of after my time with it, really, and. We'd added it in this one because people expected it. I didn't really have much interest in it. So it was one of the worst interfaces in the game. It just wasn't very polished. It wasn't, didn't really have all that many options. It wasn't all that exciting. And I was like, you know, uh, hacking an artificial intelligence opponent really seems like that would be one of the like key things humans would try and do to it. So, okay, let's kind of lean into that a little bit more. And so um, the nice thing about, you know, if you like uh, have a, target uh, an objective building that you want to go capture and you your verb that you can use to go interact with that building is i either shoot it and it dies and i get a thing from it or i capture it and then uh 
like capturing the territory that it has, it gives me some things. Then that doesn't really give you any, like, there's no multiple choice there unless you're just like things for you to capture or blow up just everywhere. But if you have a same sort of building uh, that's there and you neither blow it up nor capture it, but you go over and you hack it, then it's like, hello, here's your eight options. Which of these would you like? Take your time thinking about it. And then we'll get on with the hacking and things will get dire. Um, And then we can even say, you know, okay, you've hacked it once. Would you like to hack it again? It'll cost more the second time or is it not worth it? You know, uh, that's a, that's a you choice. And so that sort of uh, that sort of shift to the game flow made it so that uh, hacking points were suddenly way more important, and those were the things you never get back once you've spent them. And you can get more, but it's going to aggro the AI if you do so. And so you have to be judicious with it. And the science you spend, but you can get it back, but you have to spend some hacking points to do it. Not a huge number, but enough that you feel it. And so um, respecting once or twice during the game. And I was actually playing uh, another space game, playing um, over the holiday break. I was playing um, um, Outer, which one? Uh, not, not Outer Wilds, the other one. Uh, Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds, thank you. I was playing both, and I get extra confused because I played both at the same time. But yeah, I was playing Outer Worlds, and, they, and I was <clears throat> running into that same thing that I run into in so many RPGs where I'm like, why do you ask me to, I mean, I've played loads of Dungeons and Dragons, but you know, especially with a sci-fi one, like what exactly do these stats mean? Like, how are they going to interact? You know, like, so, okay. So I've specced out my character to begin with starting the game. And then uh, I'm a little bit irritated by that because I don't really know what all that meant. I didn't want to go look up spoilers for like, Oh, definitely put all your points into blah, blah, blah. And so uh, I, was some number of hours into the game, like maybe five hours and the computer on your ship lets you respec. I'm just like, Oh, that's really nice. Of course it's modern RPG. They all let you do that now. And I was like, hold on a second. I mean, I'm this thing I've complained about for years with RPGs, like Western CRPGs is exact same thing I'm doing to players in AI war two. Like, uh, Tech is the same sort of thing. So you should be able to, you know, okay, fine. Make your choices early and make it so that it makes sense for the early game. Deal with the early game. Invest all your science. Don't don't float it. Invest it. Deal with things. And then uh, when later you go, oh, I wish it was a little bit different, then respect that portion of it. And uh, And that sort of lets you weave a different mid game and a different end game and have these different distinct phases where you're kind of reconfiguring your empire as you go. And that feels so much better because there's not this, uh, am I making a terrible mistake sort of feeling (laughs) as you, as you invest early in whatever it is that's nearby and make sense at the time. And uh, it's very akin to that CRPG feeling of, how much relief we all felt once they started allowing respecking sometime in the early mid two thousands, I guess. So that is, uh, and that's probably the most prominent example, but there's just, uh, there's literally probably a dozen categories of things that change there. I mean, just the, the, you're no longer like the power curves for each individual, like ship line that you have is different. So it's actually more beneficial to have uh, 
several mid-power chip lines rather than just one hyper-powered like Mark 7 chip line. And that's a lot more fun because you get more ships out of it. You get better, ba- bigger battles and you get things that can be complementary with one another versus, well, I've been investing into this one so far. I've got really no choice, but just finish it off to seven because that's optimal every time. At this point, uh, you get kind of, you get a return on your investment all the way to mark seven, but there's diminishing returns after the fourth mark, um, which encourages not playing so deep in one uh, niche, but instead kind of expanding and then seeing how well your tools kind of work together with one another and having like maybe three lines that you're maining instead of just one. And um, all of those sort of things in combination, uh, plus uh, Badger's really been working hard on like giving some contextual like journal entries that pop up for new players. You know, hey, we noticed that you're just kind of sitting there. Uh, have you considered this thing that's over here in your particular game? Um, and uh, stuff stuff like that that contextually notices what is happening in your specific game and gives you a hint in the yeah, not even really a hint, but a suggestion. Um, and you can take it or leave it in that um, early 20, 30 minutes of the game. Um, for people who skip the tutorials, that, that makes a big difference. I don't know who's skipping the tutorials in this game. If I <laughs> That's a terrible idea. It is. <laughs> Folks, if you, haven't so played, it- if you haven't played this game and you're thinking about playing this game, do the tutorials. Just just not only the they're short. The, they're pretty short. They're yeah. not they're not long, but there's also a lot of reading involved if you want to go all in. There's I I love how much um like in-game documentation you have because it's necessary. You know, it, it's but it's also very well written. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, in the first game uh we were directing people to the wiki all the time and uh in the second game the wiki actually looks really super bare um, because we put all of that into the game itself. And so the little bits that are on the wiki, other than the release notes and some things like uh, cheat codes and a few other random bits and bobs, some moderate information, I guess. Um, but like most of like game information, um, it's so much easier to just put that in the game and ha- have it reference real stats and all that. And at some point I need to... Um, relearn how to uh do like an xml import into media wiki there's some tools that you can use for that so we can just have the online wiki also be as up-to-date as the in-game stuff but uh you know civ has been doing that since like civ 4 maybe with the civilopedia and i was always impressed by that too you know like who goes to the civilization wiki i mean it's all right there in the game so um i find that really helpful yeah, yeah, it's nice it's to be able to so have helpful. it open on a second monitor, though. And that is true. That That is true. Yeah. That's, so I, I guess what the community is really wanting to know is when are we getting space legs? Oh like, God, we, no, no, no. <laughs> With space legs? No, no, no. People say, yeah, they want like, spa- people say they want space legs, but they don't really want space legs. But by God, you're getting space legs next <laughs> no, month. No, no one wants no space one, legs. Uh, oh, it, being able to walk around on stations or planes. Yeah, like... like uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people say... Yeah, because you were... Well, you were talking about your like mid-game problem, you know, and you're like, oh, it's mid-game, I'm kind of bored, I don't know what to do. 
and Elite was like, I know, space legs, we'll let you run around. You know, it's, like, it's this fixes so nothing. Yeah, it's so funny because I was thinking about uh, doing something like that um, in. Uh, I had kind of a wild hair idea of before I kind of came to my senses and did actually other people brought me. I wrote up one big long document that was way too long and it would have been like changing the game far too much. And people were like, mm, that might be good for an AI War 3, but uh, maybe not do that for AI War 2. I was like, all right, fine. I'll do something much more conservative. But um, one of the things I was thinking about, I was like, you know, it would be straightforward to like, you know, uh, make it so you can walk around with some characters on the ships in between like more kind of episodic missions as a campaign, instead of having the whole galaxy be all in one place. And again, that would have completely destroyed the AI war flow, but I was like, yeah, that'd yeah. be an interesting other mode to play in. Or you and, could do it like uh, or, or a side just, game or like a, or like a, like a, like a, not a, like not like a, a spinoff three, but yeah, spinoff, you know, like, no, you just, yeah. You do it like Eve, right? You let me make a very detailed character, oh, and you even have you even have like an e-shop where I can buy clothes no, for the character. No, but there's no. only one room you can walk around no. in. Or <laughs> no. do it where you first person you can never see your character after that. Yeah. <laughs> even better. And, and do, do it in VR. Do it yeah, in VR. There you go. <laughs> Eve, is, Eve is still in that state, though. There's oh my. One room you can walk around. Um, what? Yeah. I thought, they got rid of the, I thought they got rid of that. They they probably dropped it. Yeah, but no, I'm I'm just saying like nothing ever happened. It was it was just like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. no. But you know what? Yeah. Honest to God, whenever I whenever I watch this game, like playing itself, because I I don't know what I'm doing. It does better than me. <laughs> but um, oh my god! But whenever yeah. whenever I'm I'm attempting to play this, uh, I'm I'm thinking about like how distant worlds universe where they're simulating like all the civilian traffic flying around and like all these other empires doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And and it's just like, you can just grab a ship and just be like, I'm, I'm you, I'm not going to worry about all the rest of that, but we're just going to run around and figure this game out. And that's like the only way I ever figured that game out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I look at like, what, what was that game? And Chris Roberts was, was like huge on it. Right. And uh, it was uh, limit theory. I think it was oh, the guy that was making that, yeah. that kind of Alita like thing that was going to be, but it was mm. that massive simulation of a gajillion ships and their individual like economic roles and what they were all doing and stuff. And I look at this and I just see like, this is like a beehive going on here. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just wondering like, well, if, if AI war three was like the, like rebuilding of humanity after this right where we actually do just go out and settle the worlds or whatever and then it's like more uh of like an expansion an economic thing or something and then you still have to deal with like you know assholes that are you know because you have to share something but um but I'm, i'm just wondering you know like how how much of a adaptable would this engine be to instead of just like glomming together in fleets if the if these fleets all actually had like little AIs thinking about like what's my job, where do I go? Oh, it's super adaptable for that. And that's a big part of what the fire teams do. So I mean, uh a lot of the third party factions, the NPC factions, uh do exactly that. So like the scourge in uh the first uh expansion, um you can play with them as an ally or you can play with them as the enemy. Canonically they're an enemy, but uh 
they um they have these little warriors that go around and then they uh as they fight and win and that sort of thing then they uh gain like experience points essentially and then they go back to an armory and they level up and then they take on uh uh the characteristics of a specific race um of aliens from uh it's all one combined like arc inverse but uh the races are originally from the last federation or from ai war and um and so it's like, okay, this is now like a Peltian warrior. And then uh, if, if it keeps leveling up and doesn't die, then it goes back to the armory again, and it can become a hybrid, which it's like, okay, now it's a Burlust Peltian warlord uh, warrior, and those get really terrifying. And uh, so there's like this whole thing going on there. Uh, with the Dark Spire in uh, the second, sorry, Dark Zenith, excuse me, in the uh, second expansion, um, they have this really complicated economy with like five different resources that they're gathering and things. And then like, depending on what they gather more of, uh, they, which you can see, um, they wind up like leveling up, um, uh, they have different variants of their ships that are like more aggressive or more defensive or whatever, depending on like what sort of resources they've been gathering more. And uh, so you see that kind of like bleed out into the military, but there's also the civilian stuff going on. And so, um, you know, Badger has done most of the faction, all pretty much all of the factions uh, thus far. I've been on like engine and infrastructure uh, and targeting and multiplayer and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, he's very military minded. Um, one of the most, uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to doing in the third expansion is uh, doing the Ninezel, and I plan on uh, having a more robust um, um, e- economic simulation within that. Um, but one of the most popular mods that we have is by a guy named Starkelp, and uh, it's called Civilian Industries. And uh, it's you know it's another one of those ones. It's like packaged with the game, but you can just turn it on. And what he did was he basically made a little human sub faction that's kind of your buddy but um you can't control directly you can i think i think you can put more than one in there i'm not sure you you can put at least one in the game obviously and uh they just like do civilian stuff they build trade ships and they build all these other things and it's what i wanted already there is what you're saying that's- By a, via a mod, yeah. Uh, but in the case of being a friend, yeah. I mean, the scourge is if if you enable them as your ally, then that works too. But uh, the civilian industries works pretty well as being just kind of like ambient defense because they do like kind of Minutemen sort of thing. Uh, they're not going to win the game for you, but they just they're comforting. <laughs> a lot of people really <laughs> like them for that reason. Well, but they, I- they they're good. They're good damage sponge too. What I was nice. looking at is is basically like if that because God knows I don't want to try to to deal with actually running an economy. I mean, right. there's, there's games for that, and I'm bad at them. So you know it's but but here since we're pretty much a pure combat thing, then you have these guys. It's almost like an escort quest, right? Right. It's, yeah. it's like hey, here's this Keep civilian thing, and it's going <laughs> to expand and it's going to do its own thing, right? Yeah. Don't let them get killed. Right. right. And and as long as you keep them alive and you kind of have to deal with what they're doing, because they're going to tend to grab like 
planets that suit them and things. So at that point, it's not like, what's my strategy? It's kind of like, I have to escort this blob around as it, as it expands into the universe. So I'm kind of, uh, at the mercy of what it chooses to do kind of thing. I mean, it's like, if I want to let them get singed back, I can just not defend something and learn quick but but yeah that's a that's a super cool idea that's basically what i was saying is like well maybe ai war three but yeah it's already here so yeah all right kind of do that with the marauder faction in the base game too and kaiser's marauders takes it even more but they'll take territory if you make an allied marauder faction um they're more militaristic but it takes them a while to like build up a base and then mark up the base and take the territory and then they expand from there and so uh they're kind of they're kind of like a military expansionist sort of feel to them in terms of their AI. And so if you have a te- an allied team that you set up of like, oh, I've got civilian industries, the mod on, and they're my friend, and I've got uh, either regular or Kaiser's Marauders on, and they're my friend, then you've got these two different flavors expanding outwards. And you can actually take the nano cost, which is basically kind of like... Um, sort of Borg-like, but kind of distributed Borg in some ways. You can make a friend out of them as well if you want to. Uh, or you can make like a... You can have like a three-way battle instead of a free-for-all as well if you wanted to. You can do a bunch of different things. Um, but anyway, you can set up a bunch of different scenarios. And, and those guys, they all have different ways that they expand. And like, it's sort of predictable in the sense of like what their goals are. It's not like you're not, you don't know exactly what they're going to do, but you know how they think after you've played with them a few times and you're like, okay, these ones want like a planet that they can like crush and then really build up. Or these ones want, you know, to, you know, hide under your skirts essentially, or these ones actually thrive where the enemy is strongest because they, they take them over and zombify them and that makes them stronger. So they aim paradoxically for where the enemy's, you know, most fearsome. So there's, um, you can get a bunch of different flavors of that. And, you know, all of that is just in the, uh, the, the base gamer mods, uh, before you even get into DLC. So, cause you said this is all kind of one arc inverse, right? So yeah. the, the dragon guys from the last federation, mm-hmm. are, are they going to show up? They're the one race that's not because uh, the last Federation, um, like the last one, right? Yeah, that one, uh, the one that lived went off uh, way out of our galaxy and is uh, in there's a game we did in 2016 called Starward Rogue. Um, you play as that same guy. Last Federation and Starward Rogue have the same protagonist. But it's several what? billion years later. Oh. <laughs> so in Starward Rogue, uh, it's getting on pretty close to the heat death of the universe at that point. And that hydral guy has been like bumming around forever. And he hears a mysterious signal and he goes over to this, like, finds this megalith sticking out of the side of a star. And there's like this robot guy who's like, hey, come help get me out. Uh, and he's like, all right, fine. I'll send in one head at a time. I'm a hydro. They, you know, they grow back. So you're piloting little mechs through with one of the hydra's heads as they go. And part of I the reason no, I, a, I had no idea that's yeah. what was in the mech suits. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's in the it's in the trailer for the game, but it's not super explored in the game itself. There's there's some lore that's in there, but it's you have to kind of look yeah. for it. It's what like about the, what about the raptors? Can we like release raptors into the enemy stations? 
so that's also part of the Arkinverse. That's back around the same time as Bionic Dews. Um, but that's back on Earth, which got nuked out of existence. Well, something happened to it, and Earth no longer exists. I know um, what happened to it, Raptors. <laughs> <laughs> the raptors were one of the several things that people were trying to uh like take back the planet uh from uh the kind of early fairly crappy ai that were spreading along the planet i mean bionic dudes the kind of general gimmick with that was that each type of unit had some sort of bugginess with it and so you know it would moving correctly every other time or shooting correctly every every other time you could predict what they're it always had the same bug each type of thing and so uh you were way outnumbered and by exploiting the bugs of whatever it was you're fighting that was how you and you know by upgrading your own mech and you know all the things uh that was how you get through it but the different bugs of the units and predicting it on each turn okay i know he's going to shoot wrong this turn so i can afford to ignore him and it made it into kind of a puzzle sort of tactical game and uh, i just have the mental image of like we need to kill everybody on this space station so you you take like a dock <laughs> full of raptors and you just shake it up like a two liter of coke like throw a mentos in it and hook it to the dock you know and all the raptors just blast in the door and yeah. One of the things that we introduce in uh, the second DLC that's coming out on May 18th is smacking planets into other planets. So that'll also do. What? You told me that DLC. Okay, All right. that's that's great. I'm, yeah, I'm already, we, I, was, I was already going to get it anyway, but now, you know. I'm just, <laughs> or, or since you can tow planets, what about if you don't make your payment and they impound your planet or you'll feel like illegal to <laughs> park your planet? For the most part, they move on their own. They're called uh, nomad planets, and you can either play where there's just like a like one or something that's kind of wandering around, and um, you can go on there and you can hack it and say, "Hey, steer this way," and then uh, it will steer towards whatever uh, your target was, and hmm. um, you have to kind of deal with the. Uh, enemy response to that. Hey, what the heck did you just steer our direction? And if what, you can survive planet, that, then what about a planet with little kitty ears and then you just get a laser pointer. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a nomad galaxy though, which is just insanity on wheels. And that's where basically every planet is a nomad. And so the entire wormhole network is just bonkers because they connect and disconnect as they get near to one another. And so Basically, the topology of whatever you started out with as the the original map just kind of melts and reforms constantly. It takes a little while, but you never exactly know what you're going to be connected to. Yeah, that's, oh, wow. that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wow. Bad shit, sir. Congratulations. That's, that's great. Yeah. yeah, that sounds it, amazing. <laughs> it's it's kind of one of those more sandboxy ones. Like, I don't think anybody looking for like a like a normal strategic challenge would play that. Like you're not going into that going, I am going to play really well and have an excellent strategy and best the AI in this. You go into that because it's like, let's have some fun. Let's see what the hell happens when I turn on these. I'm going to unleash the nano cost and let's have a Darth, uh, a Zenith architrave uh, invasion over on this side. And let's have the galaxy be nomad planets and um i don't know civilian industry has got my back 
Let's see that what sounds, happens. That sounds like a really cool, dumb thing to turn on in multiplayer, though. It'll Did just they? be like, yeah. hey, here, welcome to the amoeba map, where it just continuously like oozes around. Yeah. I mean, it's there's a lot of interesting things you can do in multiplayer. And uh, one of the things where and a wormhole opens up and you're, you know, like, well, I couldn't defend it. It just showed up. So <laughs> it wasn't me, boss. Yeah, exactly. In uh, the third DLC, uh, one of the things that we're adding is uh, for multiplayer. There's several multiplayer things there. We're adding a champion faction uh, that you can play as, which like we had in the first game, where basically instead of playing as a whole faction, you basically are just one ship and you play as that one ship and you're kind of uh, soloing content for the most part. And you can help out the main empire, but you can also warp into the fifth dimension, which in the first game was like nebulas you could go into, but here you go to the fifth dimension and then you interact with these fifth dimensional aliens instead and level up and stuff and then come back and uh, upgrade your ship and all that sort of thing. And that was what we were planning on adding as far as like an alternative factions that you could play as. But what we also added, this was like a random idea that Badger had for his own play group. And it's turned out to be, in my opinion, even cooler than champions is he added a necromancer faction where, uh, uh, we, you know, we have, you know, stuff that can zombify enemies. And when you do that, you know, then they, you're not able to control them, but they're, they were the enemy ships and now they, they're the enemy of your enemies. And so, uh, they die over time. They work as like chaff and it's super satisfying to like take the botnet golem or whatever and go just zombify a bunch of enemies and have these are mine now and then they just like turn right around and start attacking their peers it's the whole wololo sort of effect but um minus being able to directly control them the necromancer faction uh lets a human player uh have a necromancer ship and there's some upgrades and stuff. that's kind of along the lines of the champion thing. You can also build like these necropolises, all these crazy things, but then you also get to control the zombies. So any zombies that the normal human empires make, or that you personally as the necromancer make, you get to control and uh, they become like your minions and you get to do stuff with them. And that's ridiculously fun. It's a, it's a, uh, there's just so much ridiculously uh, fun content in each of these expansions, actually. Yeah, they look. That's, I, I that's love, the difference. Sorry. Oh, that's the difference between you and me is I could sit here and just make that shit up, and you actually not only make it up, you code it too. Because because <laughs> it's just it's just like you know for the for the last ten minutes you're like oh yeah and we're gonna do this thing and this thing and it's all nuts right and and it's like cool that would it would be all I could do to just think of it, let alone actually bolt it in here. So, but, but that's kind of my, my other question is how do you make this stuff so modular that uh, let's say I skip a DLC in the middle or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like how, how do you deal with that where it's like, Oh, there's content I don't have and nothing that absolutely relies on each other. So it figures it out. Huh? So we have that problem compounded a lot, actually, because of mods. And so um, uh, like a good programmer who's used to dependency packages, um, I set up a set of dependencies, but I made it so that it's really, really um, granular. So 
we don't want an entire DLC to depend on any other entire DLC. And for mods, before I added the dependencies, there were certain modders that had made things like, here's an extended ships uh, mod that gives you more ship variants. And here's a second mod for if you have the first DLC. And I was like, ooh, that's not good. Uh, I mean, that works for now, but that should yeah, be one I'm, mod. I'm in that mode with some games like Battletech. Right. It's like, I'll play this cool mod. And then right. luckily I have all the DLC, but it's like, oh, to install this mod, which is damn near any mod for that thing, it's like you must mm-hmm. have an entire laundry list of DLC. So, And then, right. it, and then things like Stellaris, where... Every, people make these cool mods like there's that star trek mod that's just banging right but you mm-hmm. have to roll back to an ancient version of the game because all the stuff that they add and that and that that's what makes the modders nuts on that game is because every time they touch that game they break all the mods so right so good and luck. i i have started my uh i mean long before i was a game developer i was a modder so i've i've been in those shoes and felt that pain so um, I kind of knew what I wanted to build. And so with the ext- extended ships variant mod, for instance, I th- think that's by CRC Gamer. I may be wrong. It might be Arnaud B. I cannot remember. Um, but anyway, that's a mod. It was originally two mods. Now it's one. It has no dependencies for the mod itself. However, if you've got uh, no DLC then it has one set of ships only stuff that's variants of stuff in the base game on uh if you've got the first dlc then um there's more ships that the author thought of that are variants of stuff in there and those have a little uh dependency tag on the ship variant that he made that says i work with dlc one and so if dlc one's on uh then that turns on as well and you get the variants of that and so then it just like whatever parts of the mod that are in there. So the really cool thing is there's some other mods that are like, you know, content focused, you know what I mean? Uh, that, that other mod authors made. Um, and so I think in this particular mod as well, there's like a more system defenders mod by somebody else. I think that's, I think that's Arnold B. And that one added some new like uh, station keeping frigates and so forth. Well, the extended ship variants mod uh, author was like, huh, I'd like to make some variants of that as well. And so if you happen to have the uh, more system defenders mod turned on, I'm, I don't think these are the exact ones, but it's the general idea. I, it says in the mod description, which ones will turn on stuff, but uh, basically uh, it then turns on just contextually the parts that matter. Uh, and so you can say this particular part of my mod depends on this other mod and, uh, or these three other mods or this expansion or that expansion or nothing. And, um, the parts that can turn on in the current environment will, and the parts that can't just don't, and it's fine. And, uh, that way you kind of get the best of both worlds. There's, there are some mods that are predicated around features that are specific to some other mod or a specific expansion and those ones have like a hard requirement of i'm sorry you can't turn this on without also turning on dlc2 or without also turning on the amu mod or whatever and in the case of like a mod it'll generally just turn that on for you um but um all of those sort of things make it as soft as possible and everything just kind of interlock with dlc2 there were a couple of things where uh 
we're adding some new races in and some new uh, functions in. And it was like, oh, the Scourge in DLC 1 is all about like taking bits from different races. It would be really cool if they had variants for these ones in DLC 2. And I'm like, well, why not? So we made it so that if you've got DLC 1 and DLC 2, then as part of DLC 2, it turns on some new Scourge units that start showing up that include like burlesque Zenith hybrids or whatever, or uh, Spire Zenith hybrids, that sort of thing. And those are only there if you've got DLC 1 and 2, but it doesn't break anything if you've only got DLC 2. It just doesn't add Scourge units because you don't have the Scourge. But, um, and there's actually a couple of AIs, uh, AI types, uh, flavors that are in DLC 2 that require both DLCs. But again, it's not an exclusionary thing. It's meant to be like, a, hey, we, this is a cool thing that we could do but it requires both DLC. So we're going to put it in there because we want to do it, but it's not like a extortionate attempt to try and get you to get both. Like there's ridiculous amounts of content that is completely isolated that you don't have to have. You know, we want you to be able to just buy any single DLC or any combination of DLC and be really, really happy. But if you happen to buy in combo, then well, that was an easy thing to add to say like, well, what if we had an AI that used things from both, you know? So we, we did put those in. It's additive, not penalizing. Right. Yeah. It's a great, that's, attitude. that's the premise. Yeah. It's, it's really fantastic. Cause so is this kind of like the, the sunset of AI war two, like you're going to get this wad of DLCs and start looking at AI war three, or are you going to like maybe more DLC? I, th- so, I feel like you've got it at this point. I don't, I don't know what else you do. Well, we've got a lot of uh, other ideas, and we've been having more and more volunteers who uh, originally were modders who you know have really cool ideas but maybe can't do the art for it or various other certain code things they can't quite do, but they could do like the ship design or whatever. And so um, – what we're looking at probably doing throughout this year is doing some uh, like kind of single function micro DLC that is like one of the cool ideas is like these vassals where like you can take where basically it can then hook into a bunch of different mod factions or uh, like civilian industries or whatever, or hook into uh, or Kaiser's Marauders uh, or hook into stuff from the base game and from the expansions and let you kind of give them orders as quote unquote your vassals. Right. And um, that's one thing we're like, you know what, what if we just like put that out there as like a, I don't know, like two, $3 thing that is just this little micro mod. It says real high concept. It's, you know, the, the title of it's pretty much describing what it is. And um, that way we can kind of gauge what, the interest is, and especially with things where we're working with, uh, you know, volunteers whom, you know, contractors and that sort of thing, um, they can kind of see a return on it. And we're not in the red constantly with doing this sort of thing, but uh, it can continue to grow because as soon as we go to AI War 3, then all of the mod economy, you know what I mean, of like, not not economy, but all of the mod landscape that exists 
suddenly becomes kind of irrelevant. It's like, oh, we got to move to the new one or it's got to be ported to the new one. Well, what if the mod author is not maintaining it anymore? What if, you know, like and there's a lot of cool things, some of which are not maintained anymore. And so, uh, but they still work. But if I moved to AI War 3, they wouldn't get ported over necessarily. You know what I mean? And so uh, I'd really like to avoid moving to AI War 3 for as long as possible. Um, and to some extent, that means figuring out a way to make sure that we've got, you know, um, if people are actually interested in this sort of expanded content for AI War 2, that we're monetizing it in a way that <laughs> such a dirty word, right? In a way that's, uh, you know, it's fair so, to everybody. So business, you know, so business. I know. Right. Oh my God. God. Uh, 2020 was a wretched year though. I mean, we released, uh, I mean, our income, uh, was like half what it was in the year before that. And that was not a, in 2019 was not a fantastic year either. So it was just like, Ooh, okay. You gotta give everyone uh, what they want. And that's last federation too. I mean, come on. That would, that <laughs> would be much. fun to do. I, you know, and I'd so I play the hell I, out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Okay. Well, that's good to know. It uh it kind of faded from the public consciousness after a while, but uh, I I do what I really want to do uh, aside from more AI War two like expansions and stuff. And before any sort of thought of AI War three, is I want to focus on some really small. I don't even know exactly what I've got a laundry list of ideas, but some small projects that I just work on myself that are just like. It's a game. It's not a system. It doesn't have DLC. It doesn't have blah, blah, blah. It's just, here it is. It's an experience that you have for five or 10 hours or whatever. It's fun and exciting and memorable and whatever. And then you move on with your life. You know, I'd like I, to make a game like that. Other yeah. I'd love to see like, a, a stream of like $5 one shots. You yeah, know, that's kind of like, what I want to do. Here's like, an idea. I need to get this out. That's it. <laughs> on to right. the next one. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's like Chris Park's Flappy Bird. not that simple but yeah (laughs) i'm just saying you know yeah but eventually you have to come back around and and do that stars beyond reach thing right i think stars beyond reach is pretty well dead um beyond reach at this point yeah it's it's beyond reach it's uh it's one of those things where that i'm so in the hole financially for that and it also is so out of date technologically compared to what I'd want to do. And I don't have a good idea on how to fix it and using the assets and so forth that are there would mean that I would also have, there's a lot of royalties and so forth that would be tied up in that. It's just like, there's so many things that weigh it down to the, where it's just like, it's, it's so, so, so very dead. And the idea of making some sort of 4X is still really appeals to me. And the idea of making, you know, the idea behind Stars Beyond Reach at a really broad level was basically, let's see if we can mash up risk and um, that sort of crazy storytelling that happens out of uh, Dwarf Fortress, like Boat Murdered, and uh, a 4X game like Civ, and a little bit of SimCity in there. And wow, that's a lot of things to mash up. That's just too many things. And I just never could figure out the mix. So it, I, maybe someday, you know, I hope to be doing this for another 30 years or whatever. Maybe someday I will approach that general cluster of concepts again. But uh, prior to that, I'd really like to focus on 
you know, the intersection of like two ideas instead of the intersection of like four <laughs> or five. <laughs> well, a thing that I would love to see is a game like AI War, how that would translate to terrestrial stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I really like, want to do some terrestrial stuff too. Cause it, cause it would be like, okay, I have all these robot units, right. But, but they're actually like little mechanical spiders or something instead of spaceships. Right. And they, For sure. they run do their thing. Um, but okay, so here here's a dumb idea, something you'll never do. Did you did you ever play Microsurgeon <laughs> from Activision? No, I didn't. Activision days. Okay, so you remember the the movie Fantastic Voyage? They shrink people down and then yeah. Oh god, it. I loved that as a kid. Okay, so Fantastic Voyage, the four X, uh, where <laughs> you are a nanite colony inside of a body. Oh, that's, oh, I think I've seen screenshots of this. No, I just made it up. It's, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking like, so you have like a map of the human body, right? So you get all the blood vessels and the organs and whatever. And then your nanites versus the other nanites that are in there where you're you're like trying to like not kill the patient, but take over territory. And, oh, that'd be you know, fun. That'd be flavor of Borg or, or you could just play as the endocrine system in general. I, I have honestly been one of the things that I've been, my wife's been really getting into permaculture and uh, looking into like a permaculture simulator uh, where you're dealing with like all the different like flows of, uh, you know, animals and nutrients and uh, plants and animals and microbes and uh, mycelia and all the different things going on in like a small plot of land and trying to like, uh, like by small, I mean like, you know, 10 square meters or something, you know what I mean? And uh, I mean, it's really bloody complicated if you really uh, do it. And I was like, Hmm. I'm not sure if I want to get quite, I mean, there is the the research for all that, but I think I might uh, actually want to do like alien permaculture so that I'm not constantly getting called out on the, the science of it. And I can just make up whatever fits for gameplay versus like, because I'm like, you know, the nitrogen cycle is totally OP and needs to be nerfed. Right. You know, like, like there's, there's stuff like that, that if I use yeah. real numbers, it would just not work for a game. So you like, feel I like need feel like the community giving you shit in the comments now is heat wait till actual doctors come in on you right Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah (laughs) well actually i I, I want basically i want you can can keep the ai universe but i want to be like a privateer style mercenary like in that would be fun in in yeah that would be great that's what i want (laughs) I need to build up a nest egg before I take on a project that large, but yeah, that'd that be is a huge one. That'd be a huge one. Oh yeah. yeah it, me- it is. That's on my bucket list, but I gotta, I gotta yeah. Yeah, basi- get there. Basically privateer slash rebel galaxy outlaw in the AI yeah. universe is what I, that's like, give me that, that I would, play, yeah. I would never stop playing that ever. Yeah. No, okay. So one of your $5 one shots, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, <laughs> remember, um, Oh God! What was that game? This has Crap. to be it, Jim. We got to wrap up after this. This has I know. to be it. Okay, so on, a, on Atari, <laughs> it was the like the original space fighter game, Star Raiders. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. I, nobody has made a remake of Star Raiders. That's true. Nobody for thirty. They years. don't exist. Nope, they don't exist. Nope. Thirty years. Well, there was that one, but we don't talk about that because that That's was. That's what I'm saying. They don't exist. Atari having a fart. Um, yeah. But but like, <laughs> yes. Yes, I will pay you handsomely. I, I will sponsor <laughs> development with this $100 bill 
that is sitting <laughs> on my desk. You That's could about what this. it costs. It's amazing. How do you, you know? Could probably do this in a weekend. <laughs> no, we should just make a game jam for just Chris here. Just a just yeah, Chris, call it the Franklin Jam. We got to raise a hundred bucks. Mc, Mc, and Mick Elligott's Miguel Miguelagot. Miguel, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Yep. New last name. Yep. Miguelagot. I'm sorry I didn't say that earlier either. No, uh, no worries. The Miguel- it's easy to think that it's my middle name because I was uh, Christopher M. Park for a long time, and you the middle were, name that, is. That, I thought yeah. it was your middle name. I'm like, why did he put his middle name in there? Yeah, um, no. Uh, when I got married uh, last uh, um, uh, March, uh, my wife and I both uh, changed our last names because uh, uh, I thought that was uh, only fair. It's really a pain in the rear for a doctor to change their last name, and uh, and it's also a pain in the rear for somebody who's uh, creative. To change their last names is like, yeah, it but makes it so that it's not diminutive and we're both in it together and we have that sense of family unity and you know, both our kids are have a name in common with both of us and all that sort of thing. You didn't so. hyphenate it like the Brit in the British style? We thought about that, but it uh it just it just looked kind of weird and uh, uh okay. it feels feels a little bit formal and uh in retrospect, it's been a little bit of a pain in the rear because we're either McElligot or Park to somebody, or it, it, it gets quite confused. <laughs> no, my my you wife just went for broke and picked like some random new last name and just been. <laughs> you know, we're uh, we're both very proud of our, our no, family. My, my uh, wife, my wife went through the same thing with her uh, ex. They uh, got a mixed name after they got married. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it is. She said it was a pain in the butt to get it and then get it reversed. So yeah. uh, it's yeah, I it's it's a thing. Uh, but I apologize. Yeah, I I'm still not it. done with the oh wow changing I, all I, the things. I apologize. I didn't say that earlier. But anyway, yeah, let's do the no Mc, worries. Miguelagot game jam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just just lock him in lock him in a closet for a weekend and see what he comes up yeah. with. And give him a thousand dollars. Let's everyone donate. Give him a thousand dollars. Throw him in a closet for a weekend. See what he comes up with. People just have do patience. I will. I, I will think, do things I on think, a more uh, healthy time schedule. <laughs> That's fair. Well, we do have to wrap up, for folks. We've been talking about AI War Two today. Uh, it's about to get a massive piece of DLC in a couple of weeks. No, about three weeks. About three weeks. And uh, then another big piece of DLC later this year uh, with maybe some micro DLC in there. It's, it's a impressive thing. Don't let it intimidate you. It makes even the grisliest of space game players like myself feel like morons. So just dive in seriously. But then just think when you win, you (laughs) feel like a God because you feel so freaking clever. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I don't yeah. know if that's ever going to happen, but I'm trying. <laughs> Just turn try. the difficulty on. There's ten difficulty levels for a reason. I'm playing in the babiest of baby modes, and I'm still. I still. Feel- <laughs> There's no way you're playing on difficulty one because it's like actively stupid on that mode. <laughs> you're I, probably playing on five or six. I'm I betting. don't. I don't know. Whatever the baby mode is, and when you ch- pick pick a new game, it's like. Yeah, uh, you're playing on five. Yeah. 
Are you are you an idiot? Do you want to play this one? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, but that's going to do it for this week. Uh, and, and not only AI War 2, there are a lot of great games in Arkin's uh, stable, if you will, from A Valley Without Wind to Last Federation. Uh, lots of great games in there. Be sure to check them out if you haven't already. Um, not sure what we're doing next week on the show. I've got some fires in the oven, but like no one's bit yet. That's I'm mixing metaphors, but <laughs> I've got some, I got some hooks in the line, but no one's bit. That's a better one. I think. Um, but, uh, we might do a topic show next week if we don't get a guest. Uh, but tomorrow we're doing, what is that? Space Art or Charlie? What is that thing called? I think it's called Space Art or Charlie. And then are we going to do that driving game on Thursday, Spaz? What's it called? Yeah, uh, I think that was the plan. What the hell is that one called? I can't remember. My brain is so Can't funny. drive this. Can't drive this. <laughs> can't touch me. <laughs> I just think of that that Brack song when I, when I hear that for some reason. Don't touch me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? You guys know. I do. Okay, good. Uh, but folks, thank you so much for, it was very active chat as well tonight. Thank you so much for everyone in the chat. I hope we got to all your questions. I know there were some in there that were just answered, um, through, uh, through conversation, but, uh, yeah, definitely check out AI war two. Uh, it, like I said, looks intimidating, but it's got a lot of tutorials, a lot of in-game help. Uh, there's it, you can play uh, starting games with where you have a lot of AI friends along with you uh, to make things easier. It's like basically it's the Skyrim of RTS uh, space games because there's a big map and there's a lot of stuff on it. And you're just staring at it going, where do I go next? I want to go over here. No, I want to go over here. No, I want to go over here. No, I want to go over there. So <laughs> that's basically what this game is for me, at least. Um, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> There's a lot of good uh, YouTube uh, tutorials that are updated for the 2.8 version as well. Oh, yes. The meta changed entirely. Yeah. So uh, Strategic Sage and uh, Explorminate both did uh, tutorial series for the new 2.8 version. Yeah, I, and, I just uh, have not had time to watch them. But they, oh, yeah. Uh, it, they are Explorminate up episode? Because you just did an interview with them too, didn't you? I did. It just went live today, but uh, yeah. we did it uh, almost uh, a couple of weeks ago. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening and watching. Chris, thank you so much for coming back on. I'm I'm glad. Um, I'm so, we're so we're also glad to see you tr- still trucking along with with AI War Two, and we hope these these new expansions, um, really give you a jolt in multiple ways. Appreciate it. Uh, but thanks everyone yeah. for for watching and listening. Always a pleasure. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye. I'm